Welcome to the War Room. Ryan Ray here reminding you that this show is listener supported at warroommedia.com. You can sign up for the free option, but if you want to support the show, that is where you do it. And oh, by the way, we will be rolling out YouTube episodes, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Again, warroommedia.com is where you stay up to date with everything, communicate with me, see all of the past episodes, warroommedia.com. Now, let's get to the show. Martin, welcome to the War Room. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Okay, so UFOs, uh, sightings, it seems like it's a topic that ebbs and flows, at least in the mainstream culture. Uh, But since, I guess, 2020, 2021, when the U.S. uh, government started talking about it more openly, it's it's kind of reignited the discussion, and you are kind of one of the leading voices on it, so it's good to have you on and kind of get your perspective of um, this issue broadly. And then of course, I think you obviously have a, a personal experience. You, you have a sighting as well from 2007 ish, right? So maybe unpack right. your interest with UFOs and what kind of got you on this journey. Well, uh, I personally had a sighting. I, I never really paid that much attention to the subject. However, I had an insurance broker tell me years ago that he was involved in Vietnam. Um, for the Air Force, like a secret, um, I'm not sure exactly what he called it, but they were investigating UFOs during the Vietnam conflicts, <clears throat> which included uh, uh, napalming and things like that. They would see often see UFOs. And I thought it was really interesting, but I never really paid that much attention. He also told me that <clears throat> when I asked him what was the nature, why, why was this happening, and what does the government think? And he basically said, well, we're a Petri dish. Whatever he meant by that, I have no idea, but I've never been able to uh, relocate him. Uh, he's, like, vanished. I tried to talk to him since I had more of an interest in this. Back in 2007, I was uh, in Carmel Valley. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm a fine art appraiser, and I was doing some work there. And... I was at a ranch. Uh, some friends had a ranch there, and I was basically in a hot tub. I was not drinking, and it was dusk. I had the bubbles off, so there was no noise. And all of a sudden, this disc just unexplainably just flew over my head. I can't really tell exactly how far up it was, maybe a 1,000, 2,000 feet. It's so hard to tell. And it had like a blue glow around it. And no lights or anything. But what really uh, was the most amazing part of it for me was that it was completely silent and I couldn't understand how it was moving. It stopped and this is all, it moved slowly and like a straight line, stopped and then went at an angle toward Monterey. So I jumped out of the hot tub, I went to the guest house and uh, they had a landline and I didn't know what to do. I called 911. This is not really an emergency. And uh, the woman was pretty annoyed. And uh, I said, is there anyone else reporting this thing flying over toward Monterey? And there was, I was put on hold and, uh, and I got finally got discouraged and hung up, you know, so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know there was any such thing as like uh, online reporting. I never knew any, anything. And when I talked about it at work, I was ridiculed. So I just kind of kept it quiet. And then um, I got really interested 
and trying to figure out what it was. And that's when I started the podcast back in 2011 been going ever since. Okay. And so you're what, just out of curiosity. What was your stance on UFOs before your sighting? You said you weren't really interested, but if someone would have said in 2005, what do you think about UFOs? What would you have said? Uh, I think I've always had an open mind that, that people were seeing something uh, for me to say they're alien. I still hesitate, you know, uh, it may be one of the answers um, because of the massive amount of sightings there are uh, every year, you know, it's just, it's quite amazing worldwide. Um, but, you know, really, if you think about it, it only takes one that, you know, there's so many unexplained, but it only takes one if they could verify where they're coming from, uh, that would make all the difference, I think. Yeah. And that's, um, so I, I had, I have a, a sighting. I've told this story before on the podcast, but I'll tell you. Oh, uh, good. Um, I, well, it was, it's, it, it was explained, but, um, but so I, 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 I'm happy to acknowledge that there are definitely things that people see that they can't explain. Like that makes logical sense. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm not in the extraterrestrial camp. Um, so either it's something that should be explainable, but you can't explain it because you just don't have the, um, requisite knowledge to do it or, or it's some kind of cutting edge technology that you've, you come across or something, something along those lines. So about a month ago, we're out fishing, uh, and where I live at is in a flight path for DFW. So we're about 45 minutes South of Fort Worth. And so we're in the flight path. So there, there's planes coming in all the time. We have a couple of airports in the city. I say that to say that there's tons of planes coming through. So we see planes all the time. I mean, I can, mm. right over my, court, my shoulder, you can see the patio, just watch them come in. Um, and so, so, so to see something in the sky at night is, is quite, is quite normal. Um, and so we're out fishing and there's a, there's a, a line. It looks like a string of lights. I don't know if it's 10, 20, 30. And it was a ton oh. of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my buddy goes, Hey, uh, what, what is that? And I'll look up. I'm like, I, I don't know. And so about, I don't know, five, 10 minutes or what it was, we were kind of freaking out. Like, what did we, because it just eventually goes off. You can't hear it. It goes off into the sky and you're like, oh my gosh, what in the world was that? And of course it was the, the, um, Starlink. Starlink, you know, we end up Googling it, but for that five, 10 minutes, I was legitimately going, oh wow. Okay. That's cause it's, it, it, you know, we've seen enough planes to know it's, it can't be a formation of planes. Uh, it can't be, you know, it can't be drones. It, there's just things that you know what it can't be, um, and so you couldn't explain it. And then, of course, it goes away. It's like, well, where'd it go? And, and now, of course, you know it's going so high you can't see it. Um, but after that experience, I thought, you know, if, I, if this were 1980 and Starlink was around and I saw this, I would probably never be able to explain it. Because right. being able to figure out what Starlink was in 1980, of course, it didn't exist. But what something like that would be very hard to do because there was no Google. So unless a friend of mine could explain it to me. I would go on the rest of my life going, <laughs> you know, what in the world was that? So I've become far more sympathetic to people seeing things that they can't explain. I kind of always thought it's possible, but after seeing something that I couldn't explain, it was, it was stunning. And of course the sheer size of the Starling thing is, is stunning and you can't hear it. And that, that messes with you because we can hear the plane. So yeah. So, um, it, it's kind of re reinvigorated me as well because it's like, okay, wow, I can, I can kind of get the, the, the euphoria or the panic or the fear or whatever the emotion is that people feel when they see these things that they can't explain. I can kind of um, relate to that, even though obviously mine was explainable within a few minutes, but there was a real period <laughs> where I yeah. was questioning 
everything. <laughs> so um, trying to understand what people have seen, what they think it is, is, uh, is something that's, uh, that's, that's of interest to me now. Right, right. And my one of my favorite parts of uh, the sightings are when they're backed up by data, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to radar and, um, you know, not just uh, observation, but when it's when it's backed up with its observation plus, say, radar or something yeah. like that. And there's lots and lots of those cases. Yeah. And that's what actually that's what happened. My buddy goes, um, he said, you know, I think he goes, Wait, did Starlink have a launch today? I think they had a launch. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> that ain't no Starlink. You know, I said this aloud to him. I'm like, that ain't no Starlink. Like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, that was something because it was, you know, it was so long and, and you know, you like, it just can't be. And of course it was Starlink. So anyways, um, yeah. One of the things that, that I've wondered about in this area is, you know, you, you mentioned the, the backup by radar. How do you go about responsibly? So whether there's aliens or not, or whatever, there are people seeing things, right? So how do you go about the process of, trying your best to say, well, it was a UFO or UAP or whatever we're calling it now. But here, here is the process of elimination to see if it's truly something that can't be identified or not. I think that's very important um, because you're right. You know, it has to be, if you can explain it, then there's enough out there that's unexplainable. But if you can go through the process of, and these what this is what people at MUFON and other, uh, you know, reporting sites try to do. They investigate, okay, what was going on? Was there satellites? Was, uh, you know, was Venus really uh, observable in the sky at this time? What was the weather conditions? You know, so they go through the whole thing trying to, first of all, eliminate a process of elimination to explain it. And the government did just that back in, uh, they had a preliminary report um, in 2021, in the spring, where they came out um, and said, out of 140 cases, um, they they could explain one. So 139 were left unexplained. And like you said, you know, there may be some type of explanation for a lot of those. But also, you know, the bottom line is there are some great military uh, sightings where the military was involved with all their equipment and state of state of the art equipment all backed up for unexplainable technology that uh, we could not, even if you think it may be advanced and hidden from us, black projects, whatever, uh, they uh, just can't explain how, uh, for instance, I'll just give you a, for instance, the, what is known as the Nimitz case back in 2004. uh, And it's also known as the Tic Tac UFO because it was shaped uh, much like one of those gas uh, propane tanks, the the large ones, you know, like Tic Tac, and it was white. Um, the people who observed it said that there was, you know, small antennas. It looked like antennas or something on it, <clears throat> maybe some type of feet or something. But the thing just defied uh, physics. They were uh, seen, there was many up to 65 at one time, I believe, um, seen on radar from the uh, through the USS Princeton, they were doing um, exercises off off the coast of Catalina, 
And um, so all these things were seen on radar and they started, uh, they were moving at a hundred knots, which is very slow for something at, at the time it was like 50,000 feet. Um, and you just don't have enough air at that point to have a lift, have a lift of uh, conventional aircraft. And then um, they are, they saw them drop down to about 20 feet above the ocean in a, in a fraction of a second or something like that, a ridiculous amount of a G force. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but we don't have any technology that we know of that can handle G force like that. Never mind uh, someone piloting it; they would be jello. <laughs> um, but you know, everything would. Uh, we just don't have anything that would hold together with the G force that had um, to move like it did, and. Then there were, uh, that was seen by eyewitnesses, Alex Dietrich, David Fravor. Those are um, F-18 pilots that went out and to see what the heck was going on. And they encountered them and there was kind of a cat and mouse thing going on. And so there's been a lot of uh, publicity about that particular case, but there's many, many more um, where the military were involved. And so it is unexplainable technology that we that we know of at this point in that particular case. Okay. And so let's, let's push because this is where it gets interesting, right? Um, um, I think everyone agrees that the military has seen something or people in the military have seen something, their technology has seen something. And so you're trying to figure out what it is. Um, and so this is where I'm, I'm curious, you know, how you go through this process, because if you think of, think about like this, if you said, well, um, you mentioned black projects. Okay, so that's 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 one option. Um, it could be foreign governments who have some superior technology to us that we haven't been able to duplicate. Um, and then you could say it's you know, some kind of U.S. or whatever private-backed company that's operating autonomously that you know somehow the, the governments don't know about. Um, but one option I'm curious your thoughts on is could it be that um, – in the vein of the, the black project, it's more of these type of operations are used to push the capacity of the U S military technology to see where it's really, truly vulnerable at, because I would suspect, and this is again, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm suspecting that if our government seeing this, that other governments should be seeing similar sightings off their coast or, or wherever and, and their, their pilots should be coming across these things. So, is this a U.S. centric phenomenon, or is this a global phenomenon? Uh, and if it's U.S. centric, does that help us with any clues of what might be going on? No, um, you can go all the way back to I believe it's 1978, either 76, 78. Um, there's a military uh, Iran uh, a military encounter back then where um, it was a cat and mouse type of situation, but it's it's been going on worldwide. Um, even when it comes to military, there's back in 2014, um, there is a pilot named uh, Ryan Graves. Uh, he's been, you know, on on uh, several, uh, I think, 60 Minutes maybe and a few other, you know, news shows where he encountered uh, UFOs, uh, strange UFOs that were doing um, phenomenal uh, moves and things like that um, for he said on a daily basis off the coast of Florida. Then they uh, they went to the uh, Middle East 
um, and were, was over there. Uh, and they started seeing him again over there, which is really, which is really strange. Uh, again, you know, he was saying on a daily basis and, you know, what the, those particular ones were, I have no idea. And, sure. you know, when it comes to the question I always have when we think about, you know, could this be technology that we just don't know about that we have or an adversary or another country has, um, you can go way back uh, to the 1960s and have some remarkable um, sightings, even military. And there was a great case that just uh, Unsolved Mysteries just did a really nice job with. And I had him on my show, Jack Bushing. He's a uh, he was working at a he was a meteorologist and he was tracking in 1994 in uh, Western uh, Michigan uh, over the Great Lakes, or I can't remember which Great Lake it was. But um, so he was tracking while people were watching these things visually um, for, I think, hours it was uh, back in March of 1994. And he tracked, you know, an object at over 22,000 miles an hour. And so what I'm getting at is uh, if these things were, you know, secret projects, you would think that they would somehow be known by now in some type of way, mm. whether it comes to uh, being able to use this during wartime or something like that. Um, it would be awful hard to hide some type of technology that we had that would do that type of thing. And, and the weird thing about that particular case is uh, the objects split into several and which doesn't make any sense either. You know, it was like a solid object and then it burst like burst in. And there's many people that talk about this and it's just so bizarre uh, that something will burst into a bunch of objects all of a sudden instantly and then go off in different directions. Okay. And so make sure I'm following here. You're, you're saying that it's not the law of physics argument goes back at least to the eighties or the seventies. And so, We've had sightings like that for 40, 50 years. Now we're able to catch them on modern radar, modern technology, whatever it might be, to help mm -hmm. verify that it's not just eyesight. It's also some technological aspect can can back up the sighting. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. And, and so you mentioned at the beginning that, that you're still a little bit skeptical that it could be extra, extraterrestrials. Um, what what would explain this then? What would be your best guess? Well, I like to hear, one of the reasons I like to do the show is there's a lot of smart people that have been looking into this for a long time. So I like to hear their opinions. So they're not my opinions, but, but they're uh, opinions that are very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, some of them sound really crazy. Uh, Dr. Michael Masters, an anthropologist professor, uh, had written a book about the possibility of time travel, that these beings are from way in the future, possibly, and coming back. Um, a lot of times when I talked earlier about the Vietnam and the napalming, things like that, goes out, you know, you can go all the way back to World War II, what they called them Foo Fighters back then. Uh, they were tailing along the sides of... Uh, planes during conflicts, things like that, unexplainable technology back then, uh, you know, 1940s. So um, 
uh, his um, idea is that these are not necessarily us, but, uh, you know, possibly way in the future, whatever develops coming back to, uh, you know, have a seat and, you know, during this time and to take a look. Um, I'm not sure why, you know, I've asked him many questions. One of them is like, well, how come we didn't see these earlier on in our development or, but, uh, you know, there are many cases where in books and things like that, where people saw strange objects that were unexplainable, but nothing, um, as frequent as they are in our time. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to get Michael Masters on. That sounds, that sounds interesting, but his argument is, you know, 3227 they've invented time travel and they're coming back yeah 2022 in this case and 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 poking around that would be that would be interesting um uh, you know if it's true of course but all of these things and this is where i think the the the, the problem that you that, that we get to is motivation right so why would you come back to 2022 and you say well it'd be interesting and and i think that that's a reasonable expect, expectation I think, um, you know, this is pick a number. Say the year's 4,000. If the year's, uh, if it's 40, 4027, whatever, if it's 4027, um, going back to, you know, 600 AD, that's a pretty stark jump. Like, that's like that's that's so crazy that I don't know if people would actually do it. I think we kind of would joke about maybe doing something like that because we're a little bit closer to that era. But the further you get in history, I'm not so sure that you'd, you'd want to go back to an age to where it was really – um, barbaric for lack, lack of a better term. So hmm. I can see people maybe coming to this point in history, um, futuristically, you know, I, I, I kind of see that argument, but why would is this is the benevolence comes in? Why would we assume that people from the future would come back and be benevolent? And maybe they, maybe, uh, masters doesn't think they are, maybe he thinks they're doing damage, but, it would seem that you would you could get some bad apples coming back and wreaking serious havoc um, during this era because they can just hop back in their time machine and go back to the future uh, with no with no consequences to pay. Uh, well, you can go also. You can think about the butterfly effect. You know, uh, where if they change something, then they would no longer exist. I don't know if that is a true paradox or not. I mean, it would be awful hard to explain. And there's other theories. Uh, would you like me to go into some yeah. other things. This is why I got you on. I want, I want to hear all yeah. of it. I brought you on. I want to hear. I want to hear this. Yeah. Another one is a, a possibility of uh, interdimensional uh, from another dimension, and there's a lot of cases where people uh, have looked into this. Where wow, well, that in that case it would make sense. For instance, there's a lot of cases where something is there, and then it's instantly somewhere else. Um, and you know, it just doesn't seem to make any, uh, physical sense how these things happen. And in that case, are people are beings or whatever, uh, able to breach the dimension and, you know, what's the motivation there? Um, so, you know, I mean, it's an interesting one and, you know, there's uh, one person that I know that says everything can be explained. Um, the strange things that happen, whether it's ghosts, poltergeists, uh, Bigfoot, uh, you know, uh, the whole the whole package. Um, he his idea is that that's all you know interdimensional, that type of thing. Um, and so uh, the extraterrestrial 
has been part of the equation going back to even when the government looked into it back, there's a thing called the Nathan Twining uh, letter that was written. And they, they basically, that was back in 1947. And in that uh, memo, uh, he, as part of the government, he basically thinks, you know, one of the best explanations is the possibility of extraterrestrial. Um, I don't, know uh if that's actually what's going on but i think uh, uh i i like the um idea of jacques valet a longtime ufo researcher uh he thinks it might be a little bit of all kinds of things not just one thing in particular and uh i kind of agree with that it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a swamp it's a bog just full of all kinds of stuff that you're you're pulling out various things so on interdimensional, when we say that, is that referring to like a divine element? Like it's, it's like a, like, um, you know, angels or demons that are crossing over. Is it other just dimensions where it's like a slight alteration to me? Is it both? Uh, what is, when, when you think of interdimensional, what could that mean? Like, um, I think of the, what I've heard, you know, people talk about mostly is that it's like they, there are, you know, um, the, not the, well, there's, there's several different camps. One of them is that there are, um, I forget what it's called, the brain, um, where there's, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not getting that right. Uh, where there's several dimensions and, you know, there's one camp we're saying that, you know, there's another you and another on an, another planet, mm-hmm. just like this. And, you know, I, and, how uh, these dimensions are the answer to why there's dark matter and dark energy, you know, filling the universe type of thing. So there's, there's all kinds of theories on it, but I don't, uh, I I think it's just that there's another dimension um, that these beings are crossing through into our dimension, whether it's uh, through time or whatever it is. It's, I I don't really understand all of that, but uh, You know, it is, a, it's an interesting take regardless. How close do you think we are to solving some of this stuff? Because I'm thinking I, about the yeah. amount of satellites that are going up. There's smartphones everywhere. Um, you know, the, the, you know, you think about China, the surveillance state that they have. It, it, I mean, the world's a big place. I'm trying to diminish that, but it also, it is getting a little smaller. I don't think we're, I don't think um, that we're really going to find an answer. That's, that's kind of after looking at this for over 10 years, 11 years now, um, uh, doing a show on it, talking with, you know, over 500 guests. Um, I really, I don't think we're going to find the answer. And I think that's one of the reasons the Air Force has kept quiet about it and kind of tried to tuck it away um, over the decades, because how could they say they have no idea of what's flying around in our skies? Um, so I, I think that uh, I think that it's possible that some part of the government uh, may know a little bit more than, you know, the people that really look into this uh, subject deeply, but um, they definitely have video and other, you know, there's many cases of where someone shows up and, you know, all the data is, is taken. Uh, This has happened many times. Um, I even spoke to James Fox who had a, looked into and made a film about a case back in the nineties in Brazil. And it, it appeared to be plain, plain clothes U S 
people showed up right after the incident. And so it's really bizarre. So it is a possibility that they may know a little bit more, but I really, really don't think that they have the answer. And, you know, right now uh, the, uh, you know, the oversight committee and the, they, I don't know what they call it. It used to be the UAP task force and they changed it to some kind of ridiculously long name, but you know, at least they're looking into it and they're taking it serious or it's just window dressing and it's going to go away again. Like it always seems to have over the years. Yeah. So that, that's a problem I have trying to think through this because we have known cases of parts of the government coming before Congress and lying to the Congress openly yeah. Congress, not knowing it, finding out later and nothing ever happens. And so <laughs> It's it's we, we, that's that's a that's just a data point you have to bring in here, which is it is possible that part of the government is lying to Congress. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is that they're they're in cahoots, right? So they, they both know. And of course, it's possible that neither side knows. Um, and so, but it makes it so hard to evaluate when the government says, "Well, we don't know what's going on." Well, I mean, you guys lied to Congress with impunity, and so it's it makes it tough to know. Who can you trust on these issues and who's actually looking into them? That's right. And it seems to me, well, um, I'm trying to re- there are, there's uh, representative Gallagher. He's someone that's uh, on part of that committee. <clears throat> and he, he caused a little bit of a ruckus because he's like, Hey, you know, these things have been around our nuclear warheads and shut them down, you know, where they're all independently operated somehow 10 of them were shut down back in the sixties and it happened many times, which is very strange. You know, that's another connection. And by the way, I mentioned very early on that when I was speaking to my insurance broker years ago in the, I think in the 19 early 1990s, he also mentioned that they are very interested in our nukes and that they have uh, caused problems. Um, There's uh, uh, you know, I kind of going off on this for just a little bit, but I had this guy named Mario Woods on my show and he, uh, he was a security officer, uh, for the air force and they oversaw, uh, several, uh, missile sites, uh, warheads and these strange things were happening over and over again. For instance, uh, there were several cases where they, would see a UFO and this, the nuke would be put into launch mode. <laughs> and so they raced out with a pickup truck and put, drove the pickup truck and put it neutral on the blast doors. So if the thing started to launch, the blast doors would uh, most likely uh, trigger the truck being a neutral. So it would drop down into the uh, silo and, you know, make a malfunction so it wouldn't launch. So they were trying to, you know, stop these things and they never did launch, but they still were, uh, you know, they were being, they were counting down and he went to, uh, he was called out at like two o'clock in the morning and there was a large, almost like sunlight. It looked like a sun, uh, brightly lit over one of the silos and then, you know, he, his, uh, the person driving the truck just froze and stayed in that position, never moved. And, you know, all kinds of weird things happened that night. And they woke up next to a dam 16 miles away. He has no recollection of how they got there. And 
the person driving the truck was still frozen, like in a state. Um, so, I mean, there's several cases that are really very strange, um, but they do have an interest in whatever it is. It seems to be they do have an interest in nukes. And there's uh, Robert Hastings has done a lot of research into that. What is your theory on why they don't bother us in a way that's open? So you could say that you know, some of this offshore stuff, uh, the examples that you gave there is somewhat of a bothering or a nuisance for sure. And it's a legit threat if they're targeting the nukes. But just generally speaking, um, why are these things not um, interfere, like, you know, flying over my house or outside the big mall, you know, or down, down, um, you know, Fifth Avenue? Why are we not seeing this um, in large populated areas? Um, it's a, to make a thread or to make an overture or whatever. Any theory on why that is? Well, you know, we, whatever they are, a lot of times we think in human terms, you know, we're, we're pretty violent, um, but we don't know how another evolution somewhere else, wherever it is, the planet, a dimension or whatever it is, we can't really judge how uh, they would react or think um, because it, whatever it is, is probably totally different than how we would proceed if we had whatever the technology is to be there, if indeed that they are manned. You know, uh, a lot of these things appear to be under intelligent control, but we don't know, you know, if how they're operated, if someone's inside or or whatever. Um, so I, I don't really know. I mean, it would be a, a, a terrible thing if, um, you know, we were on the menu and you're just being observed for a while until uh, they decided to take over, um, you know, and with the technology that we have observed, you know, I mean, we just couldn't, uh, compete in any type of way, but I don't, I don't know. Um, like you said, nothing really has happened. You know, there's been a few cases where mm, people had burns and things like that, but, uh, but, um, if they have that type of technology, they could definitely destroy or whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, nothing has happened yet. And maybe that goes back to uh, what the insurance broker said when he says we're a Petri dish. Maybe we're being observed and that's it. And um, there is a case that happened in Connecticut where um, I know it sounds bizarre when I talk about these cases, but this is a very credible uh, witness that told a story about this object. Uh, him and his girlfriend pulled over the side of the road. It's such a fun story. Do you mind if I t yeah, tell it? No, no, please. Yeah, yeah. Please. So they pulled over the side of the road observing this. Th they thought it was going to be a plane crashing. It came down into this field uh, across from I-95 where they were driving. So they pulled over off, off the road to see what the heck was going on. And they just stopped. And uh, it was a very strange configuration of this craft, whatever it was. Uh, there were spheres on top of it on each corner, he, he kind of drew a picture of what, what it looked like. And this is back in the late seventies. And, uh, then, uh, underneath, uh, over to the side, it was over a field and over to the side where, uh, was a stand of trees and they're waving back and forth like a hurricane, which was really bizarre. And he said in an instant, it was above the car and several other cars had pulled over and, he said he was having a really hard time seeing this, but 
up and there were these windows and up in these windows, you could see silhouettes of some type of beings that see the move. And uh, he said, and this is the hardest part for him to say, but something uh, like uh, almost like telepathy couldn't explain any other way. Don't worry. We're just observing you. Mm. And uh, so then it shot back. I said, in an instant, he said, like it was never even there. It was back where it was before. And the trees were waving back and forth again. And then it shot off out, out the distance, uh, off in a distance. Then um, all the cars that had pulled over, um, they all got back on I-95. He turns to his girlfriend and he said, let's go get an ice cream. <laughs> this is really bizarre. So the whole line of traffic that had pulled over, he said about 10 cars, something like that. Um, they all turned off where he turned off at this first exit. They all pulled into the Howard Johnson's and they walked like zombies. And he went in and there was a guy holding a glass of water um, and staring down or staring into the kitchen or whatever. And, and uh, he looked over at him and he said, did you see them? You know, the beings he was talking about. It's a strange case. And, uh, but uh, there's been many cases uh, where people have had visions and thoughts when they have during an encounter. There's a great one called the Ariel incident, Ariel school incident back in 1994, where these school kids were out in South Africa and the, this craft came down, they saw beings and one girl I spoke to said she was four feet away from it, had large black eyes. And some, and some of the kids said they had, you know, visions of the earth being destroyed. And they went home that night and said to the parents, we have to take care of our planet, you know, that type of thing. So there's many cases where people feel as though they've had some type of communication. Yeah. So the Petri dish, if it is extraterrestrial, would make the most sense of the theories I could think of because we put it to your point, we pose no threat to them militarily. We can't, we can't, we can't explain how they can do the things that they can do. So if they wanted to wipe us out, that would be no problem. Um, and so mm -hmm. they obviously don't seem interested in that. Um, beyond that, it doesn't seem quite obvious at least or any, any level that they're, they're, they're trying to manipulate large public policy or large public sentiment or, um, or anything like that. And of course it could be, you know, if they had some kind of advanced tech and you wouldn't know it, but doesn't seem to be doing that. Um, so it does seem to be that if, if, if there, if there is extraterrestrials and they were, um, here, uh, that perhaps the Petri dish kind of watching and testing and probing around would be the most plausible scenario I can think of because, it's hard to explain why they've been here for so long and not gone to war military strike. If, if, if that was their interest, because we, you know, we literally pose <laughs> no, no threat to them. So it would seem to be something like that. It would have to be the most plausible thing. Right. Yeah. And I've talked to uh, astronomers, a number of astronomers over the years about uh, what would make us so special. Like, if, you know, we we have discovered a lot in the last, you know, a few decades, um, you know, like the possibility of, uh, you know, planets, life-sustaining planets is, is 
pretty darn high out there. And what would make us so special that we're having all these sightings wherever they're coming from? You know, why would that be? And, you know, uh, some of them have replied, well, we are, are actually, you know, fairly special and um, it, we could be observed somehow uh, for our atmosphere, you know, like we're attempting to do with the James Webb. Um, so there is a possibility that, you know, we are uh, special in a way that, you know, we're in a part of our development. And uh, but I, I think we're kind of in a scary part of our development. Uh, you know, the, I, I get to tell you one uh, NASA visiting scientist um, at NASA, uh, an astrophysicist uh, told me, which I think is a great quote. Um, he said that his colleagues and him, you know, discuss the possibility of, you know, uh, space travel and things like that. And uh, the saying goes something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing here, but if um, any civilization can get through the bottleneck of technology without destroying themselves, we'll be traveling the stars. So we're, we're in kind of that, I think we're in kind of that bottleneck where it's a possibility that uh, we could go either way when it comes to destroying ourselves. Hmm. So you think that it's the bottleneck, like how long of a period is that? Is it like a thousand years away to get through a hundred years away, 50 years? Do you have any guess on how long it would take to get through this bottleneck of technology? I, I would say, um, you know, I think we're, I think we're, I don't know exactly, but I think we're in kind of a critical, uh, part of our development and uh, I would, it would only be a guess, but I would say, you know, within the next hundred years would kind of probably show if we can make it socially through that bottleneck without destroying our planet or ourselves, which is, um, you know, I mean, we really have to be more mature when it comes to uh, the resources that we're using. You know, for instance, you know, the United States alone, we use a lot of resources compared to the other parts of the world. And there's a lot of countries striving to be like us. So, I mean, um, whether we can go through that um, and I, I would say that a lot of the technology that um, he was talking about could be something like nukes or something like that, where, you know, they could destroy themselves. But again, I'm thinking on human terms when I talk like this and I have no idea what something else, how something else develops. Okay. So the next five years, let's just pick a time period. Next five years, what do you expect that we might learn if anything uh, of substance? I think it's, I think it's possible that with this, uh, committee that uh, there's supposed to be two reports a year. One was due at, uh, let's see, I believe it was October 31st. That should come out at any any point that uh, publicly, supposed to be public. We haven't seen anything yet. So I think um, that uh, within the next five years, if the subject keeps alive, you know, here here's the thing. We're a very ephemeral society. And something becomes old news. I mean, you hardly hear about Ukraine war right now. You know, something becomes old news really quickly. And hopefully it'll 
stay alive enough for the research to continue. NASA's involved now. Um, so I think we have a possibility of knowing something, but, uh, you know, the, the unfortunate part is, is I think, uh, it's possible we just may move on like many times over the years. History repeats itself in the UFO world, same as everything else. And there's been many times where, uh, you know, Project Blue Book, all of a sudden they had the condom, commi condom committee back, uh, it was done in Colorado in the 60s, and they said there's nothing to this. And that's kind of what seems to happen repeatedly, like there's nothing to this. And what I think it really is, is there's nothing we can explain, you know, totally. Okay. You will be covering it though. So you're not going anywhere. So uh, tell people about your show, where they can find you and where you want us to point people to. Well, I have a show every Tuesday evening, uh, Eastern time at 7 p.m. And I'm on uh, YouTube and every, all the information um, you would want to find is over at my website, podcastufo.com. And I have a weekly uh, blog that comes out that's basically um, researched by one person that does the work, a great job, and he turns them also into audio blogs. So everything can be watched or listened to either on my website or my YouTube channel is Martin Willis Live. Uh, that's the name of the YouTube channel. And uh, so I do a lot of live streaming uh, there uh, okay, once great. a week. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Martin, thank you so much for this today. I learned learned a lot as always. This is not a subject of expertise for me, so I find it fascinating. So I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. It's been enjoyable. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. Really, really appreciate it. If you could, drop a five-star review wherever you may be. We keep getting on great guests, and that's because you keep supporting that show. If you want to know more, go to warroommedia.com. Ever wonder if the deep state murdered President Kennedy? If Hillary Clinton is kidnapping babies? If the COVID-19 virus is part of a plot to turn your country into an evil dictatorship? Or if Tom Cruise is a shape-shifting alien reptile? Hi, my name is Michel-Jacques Gagné. I'm a Canadian author, teacher, philosophical historian, and recovering conspiracist. I'm also the creator and host of the Paranoid Planet podcast, a monthly variety show that combines fun conversations, long-form interviews, thoughtful essays, film and book reviews, and a little bit of silliness on the subject of, well, you guessed it, conspiracy theories. So if you want to learn more about conspiracism, if you want to become a better critical thinker, or if you just enjoy listening to interesting conversations in an entertaining format, check out the Paranoid Planet podcast at www.paranoidplanet.ca. That's www.paranoidplanet.ca. Or anywhere you download your favorite podcast. Until then, make sure you keep the blinds closed, avoid talking to strangers, and, just to be safe, avoid drinking the water out of the tap. You'll thank us for it later. But don't take my word for it. Ask this guy. What do you think tap water is? It's a gay bomb, baby. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? Ugh, ugh, serious crap. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny.